since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. And joining me is my good buddy, Thomas Drance. Thomas, what's going on, man? Not much, bud. Been on the air for a long time, so... <laughs> yeah, we just did your show, Canucks Talk, before this as yeah, well. Um, tons of fun. Thanks for joining me on it. Always a blast. Um, we're going to plug that more at the end, okay? It sounds good. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to end the week with our Friday mailbag. Which Let's you've go. done a couple weeks ago with me, which... Always a, always a blast. reviews. People love this. I've been getting people sending me unprompted mailbag questions throughout the week. It's great. So people really seem to be enjoying the uh, interactive element of it. If you want to get involved in future episodes... Please do so. Keep sending those questions in. Perfect way to end the week, slide into the weekend. You and I are hanging out here in studio. It's going to be fun. Let's get into it. We're laughing. Here's our first question. Joseph Holmgren asks, which retired players do you think we underestimated while they were playing based on the new stats we currently have available? Ooh. I mean, I think there's an awful lot of guys yes. that you could pick here. Um. Okay. Here's my prediction. You're going to pick someone incredibly niche that I've never thought of in the past 20 years. I'm going to pick someone who's actually a star player that people will have heard of before. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys who you can make this case for. So for me, one of the first guys that always comes to mind when I think about this specific question, and it's a question that I think about a lot, is Stefan Robida. Yes. Because Stefan Robida was like a 5'10 defensive defenseman. Mm-hmm. In an era where that didn't exist. So what does that mean? It means that Robodod was undrafted, despite being like 80 points in 40 games in his last huge MJHL season, yes. right? Today he would have been drafted probably in the first two rounds, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't really make his NHL debut until like 24, right? Now he'd be in the NHL at 21, yep. right? So he loses probably an extra 250 games, probably an extra contract. Um, then, you know, he is like effective for Montreal for like his first two seasons. And, and if you go look at it, he has a season in Montreal where he's like minus 28 or whatever. And if you go look, Montreal had like really bad goaltending. Mm-hmm. Stefan Robida is minus 28. He's an undersized defenseman. What do you think Montreal blamed on there? Right? So he's sort of cast aside out of Montreal. You know, it's just a PDO bender season. Yep. Anyway, ends up establishing himself in Dallas. He only really earns like one big contract his whole life, and it's the one that he signed at the end of his career, right after he'd sustained that de- devastating leg injury yes. late in and the year. And they named an island after him. And then they named an island after him. But he was just steady, reliable, drove yes. play, transitional defensive defenseman. Now we'd appreciate him as like the stud top pair, frankly, like Norris caliber. He, You know what he was? He was Jacob Slavin. Yeah. He was Jacob Slavin for six years and no one cared. And now people would. Well, I don't really remember. Did he play the way Slavin plays? Well, just shorter. But like, yes. I mean, he was like physical, eight shots, eight pucks. Yeah. Ace penalty killer. And then once once he like verges into the era where we have modern numbers, Mm -hmm. he was an absolute stud. Yeah. But he plays a, a large proportion of his career before that where we had no way of evaluating it. His career would have been completely different. Okay. If he was born in 1987 as opposed to 1977. Yes. Okay. I really like that answer. Do you want to yeah. hear mine? Sure. Well, I, have, I have two. Oh, sorry. I also have more. So why okay. don't you go let's one keep, and then... Yeah. Although my, one of my objectives heading into the show was let's try to get through as many questions as we can because last time we started yeah, we with like a question about the goal drafting system <laughs> and then 30 minutes in we're like, all right, question number two. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, here's a... It's, this one's cheating because I think this player is appreciated, but I, I would argue, and I'm going to put together a hopefully compelling case 
that he's not appreciated enough. Pavel Datsuk, who won three Selkies, won two Stanley Cups, playing for the Red Wings, had the four Lady Bangs, if that's a thing you care about. I believe his only time registering in MVP voting was in the 08-09 season when he finished third behind Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin that year. Um, I often post clips of Pavel Datsuk doing really cool stuff. And I think there's a nostalgia element where people are like, oh yeah, like I miss this guy so much. And it's like usually Red Wings fans because they got to see him every night. And then there's like every, every time there's a few people who are like, how did this guy only score 32 goals as his career high? Like, he never had a crazy ballooned offensive season. He had 97 points twice, I believe, but he never got to 100 points, 32 goals. Obviously, it was a different NHL, like, in those, like, mid to late 2000s. Totally. What I would say is, if you look at the few years we have of him on natural statric or evolving hockey, his underlying numbers are genuinely not of this world. No, I know. Like, it, like his impacts at 5-on-5 five five were just incomparable he was legitimately he was the best probably player the best player in the, player in the nhl oh yeah no, yeah no, i don't even think and i don't think he was really regarded that way no he right wasn't. like because there'd be flashier players who would score more goals get more points and they'd get regard like they crosby and ovechkin right he was kind of considered like a a piece of the engine of that red wings team that was dominant and he was like a playoff performer but he was never considered as like the most dominant two-way force that we have in the game which he really was and so that's kind of my argument here for if we had all of these numbers as readily available for his prime I think we'd appreciate it a lot more because if you look at his last NHL season, which was 2015-16, I believe, and he's like 38 years old, he was still one of the best five-on-five players in the league. Anyway. Yeah. So, I, I, for sure. I would, to add to it, Sergei Fedorov, right? I, I think would have Bergeron quality two-way data from his prime years, and and the fact that we don't have that to know uh, is disappointing. An, another statistical oddity: uh, Larry Robinson's plus. 100 season Mm -hmm. like larry robinson had a plus 100 season for that 1978 habs team that only lost eight games right and i'd kill to know what his course four percentage was (laughs) like was his pdo was yeah was it like a 140 pdo season or was it a 78 percent course four season my bet is that it was 75 percent probably course four yeah in that he also probably had like a 25 percent on ice shooting percentage because very everyone did it because the goalies were catastrophically sure. except, bad. Except he had Ken Dryden. Yes. But so yeah, I mean, for sure that's part of it. But like I bet you I bet you it's unlike anything we've ever seen. Can I can I give you one more? Yeah. Of course. I'm gonna go defense again. Okay. Eric Desjardins. Desjardins. Mm-hmm. One of the most prolific five on five defense uh defenders like at scoring in his generation by a lot. Yep. Played, obviously, in front of Patrick Waugh for a bit. But then he went to Philly, where he didn't like necessarily play against killer goalies. If you go and look at his era, he was the seventh best plus-minus defender over like a 10-year stretch. Mm-hmm. There's six guys ahead of him. They're all either Hall of Fame players or Nick Lidstrom defense partners. That's right. it. That's it. And so I wonder what his underlying data looks like because the fossil record, right? Not the full record, but the fossil, the carbon dating suggests to me that this guy was like an absolute stud five on five scorer play driver who was probably like a secret all-star. Now he was like on team Canada. It's not like he was under the radar, right? but I don't think we understood. I didn't understand growing up. This is probably one of the best defensemen in hockey. I think he very much was. And with contemporary data, we'd have known it. 
Can you name one non-French Canadian defenseman? <laughs> no. Um, no, I'm not going to knock you for that because my answers for this were Pavel Datsuk and Peter Forsberg. Yeah, yeah. Well, Peter Forsberg. I Can mean, you imagine Peter Forsberg's underlying numbers in no. like the late 90s, though? I mean, I-, I can't. Because every clip I've seen of him, no one could take the puck from him. So I imagine he had 100% possession rate. I, I would think so. I-, I also would be fascinated to know how much... Um, Cliff Ronning drove play in his prime. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Cliff Ronning was Braden Point. Just know, just in a league where you could water ski on offensive players. I can vouch to the listeners that you've definitely given this thought in your off time as well. You've you've had the thought cross your mind of I really wish I had these numbers for Cliff Ronning. This it, isn't something No, no, no. Wish. It's it's something that I like yeah. obsess over. Yeah. And since we're on Vancouver Radio live, yeah. if you're not if you're listening on the podcast, I apologize. But since we're listening, like, yeah, my I I'm convinced that Cliff Ronning, if you drop him into today's NHL at the age of 21, is like a superstar. Yeah. In a way that he wasn't in his time where, because he was undersized, people were able to, you know, infringe on his movement and just like chop him down at all moments. Like, I I legitimately think if you drop him into today's NHL with the way the game is called today, he's a 95-point guy. Well, that's the thing with Peter Forsberg. Like, A, if he has modern medicine, which would hopefully keep him on the ice longer. Right. And B, he gets if like guys the aren't just injections like, into his knees. Just, he's not carrying defensemen around on the ice at all times. I'd love which to he see. was capable of. No, but I'd love to, and part of that is what made him so cool. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, I'd love to see like eleven hundred NHL games worth of Peter Forsberg uh, as opposed to whatever he wound up playing. He was so. he was a joy to watch. Yeah. Um, okay. Any others for this, or or you want to move on to this? Oh, question? dude, I can go all day. But yeah, let's move on. Okay. Justin Liu here asks, can you specifically define what? quote-unquote two-way player means i understand it means a player who's good at both ends of the ice but are there any stats or metrics that separate a two-way player from someone who's just good defensively or offensively and he uses an example of i always hear about how Ilya mikhaev is such a good two-way player but my experience with him is that the play dies on his stick every time he's in the offensive zone it seems like he's more of just a defensive forward I always agree. I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I used to love to refer to uh, Dustin Bufflin as a one-way player. Yeah. Even though he had great two-way impacts. Right. Because if he went one way really fast, he wasn't going to be coming the other way very fast. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it is a misunderstood one. I think for me it is that you're that you're valuable or you add, you're additive yes. at both ends. Right? Like you're, you're both contributing to the offensive attack without taking anything off the table and providing for an environment where your team is less likely to give up the next goal on the defensive end. You have to be both. It's very rare that a player really is a net positive in both areas. So then it becomes a matter of like their two-way value remains high despite the fact that they take a little bit off the table defensively or offensively, right? So I sort of use it that way. That's at least my sort of um, go-to. And I sort of just use... What I mean, I use I look at like the team relative metrics a lot, yeah. like the RAPM stuff like that. But I also just know from watching players play, like I have a good sense, I think, and then I use the numbers to back up my biases. Tom, I think Justin's on to our uh, trade secrets here because I'm gonna fill in the listeners. A lot of times when someone someone says someone's a good two way player, they have no real actual way to describe how they play, and so they just say that as like a placeholder. Oh, okay, interesting. I see a lot of players described as two-way players, and it's like, nah. are they? And and would you would you classify, like, because I guess there's two ways to look at it. It's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing, right? If a player has good defensive metrics, 
but it's because they're so good offensively that the puck is just always territorially in the offensive zone. Does that make them necessarily like they have good two way impacts, but they might not necessarily be good defensively. We, they're just not exposed to it as often. You right. Know what I mean, so yeah. I think it's kind of a stretch of that of that definition. It's kind of a bit of a misnomer to say they're actually a two way player when I think you're saying they have good two way impacts, and I think those are two different things. Now that just might be like a nerdy nitpicking thing. No, I don't think so. I think two way two way impact though for me is like an overall description mm-hmm. of a player's of what's happening when they're on the ice of a player's yeah. utility. Right. You know. And but but I mean you can be like the way I often use two way impacts is like this guy isn't like isn't a very good offensive player, but he does enough defensively that his two way impacts are still solid. But here's, okay, you know, like I almost use two way in that two way impacts as like a stand in for overall value, right? But people lazily define play or describe players as two way players when they're like. A center who maybe is good at faceoffs, right? I know, and, and then they and score points, they're, and they're actually a no way player, right? Well, we're going to talk about uh, next question is about Bo Horvat. Oh, Bo Horvat, who's not, not a, a no way player. No, he's not, but he's not a two way player. Um, he's a good he, offensive player. He's a good offensive player. He's a good offensive who wins player. Draws. who wins draws. Yeah, that does not mean he's good defensively. Sure, I used to use the squirrel analogy. Yeah, Bo Horvat's uh, faceoff per- win percentage is like a is like the squirrel having the bushy tail. Right. So you think it's cute, yeah. or you think it's a defensive player, when like no, it's just which is fine. Or, like yeah. he's a, a good player. Totally. But I, I think he's an he's an offensive player with a bushy tail. Is right, and I think <laughs> I think defensive like who's good defensively, honestly, generally comes down to effort. And the reality is, for most players, they're good offensively. If they're the key player on their team, they have to exert most of their energy and effort and attention to the offensive side of things. So they're going to sacrifice defensively just because they have to, to to do what they're paid for. So I think like a lot of players could be much better defensively if they played either on better teams or environments where they didn't need to focus so much offensively. So that's why I struggle with saying someone's bad defensively because I think most NHL players can generally, if they're smart, be good if that's their job. Most, but definitely some are... Um... Worse at p- managing the puck. <laughs> right, yeah, and have and, bad instincts, uh, right, and, in terms yeah. of where to be positionally, of course. Totally. But a lot of it is effort yeah. and back-checking and just trying. I agree and with so, that. Um, okay, well, then here's a, here's a question for uh, that relates to this from Bo Hor- for or not from Bo Horvat. It's about Bo Horvat. Bo, Bo, Bo's calling into Long the studio here. Yeah. Um, the question is about Bo. It's just Bo Horvat to Carolina, question mark. But... <laughs> <laughs> which is very specific. It seems like a statement more than a question. Yeah. If the Canucks were to decide that it is in their best long-term interests to trade Bo Horvat sure. ahead of his unrestricted free agent season as opposed to signing him long-term, what are the most interesting landing spots, in your opinion, both in terms of where he'd make the most sense, also teams that would theoretically be interested, and then who could facilitate a package that would be a bit, a, worthwhile to the Canucks? <sighs> Um, I mean, Carolina, I, 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 if you're, if you're making a trade as a team in need of defensemen, like young defensive prospects, in addition to draft capital, I think the hurricanes and the Kings should be the Canucks prime targets, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're hoping, you're hoping that, um, Waddell or Blake call you (laughs) with the, with the Horvat inquiry. Cause those guys, those teams have the, the process. I mean, the amount of quality defense prospects that this Hurricanes organization has in its system, whether it's a Hamo Salmi or a Ronan Seeley or what have you. I mean, there's just so much. What's the guy that they have in university, Moro? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they just have a, an absolute stable yep. uh, of quality blue line prospects. So, you know, I, I, Carolina definitely ranks high on that list. The Kings definitely rank high on that list. In terms of teams that I think Horvat would help a lot, um, you know, Carolina's for sure a really interesting one to me because of, you know, the way that they're lining up and the simplicity of that they play, like the simplicity of their game, which requires, you know, um, a lot of uh, just hit it out. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of dump-ins, a lot of battle winning, um, you know, adding a really opportunistic finisher like Bo Horvat, who can win battles and play bumper car hockey, I think would be a uniquely good fit. Um, you know, something like Svechnikov fast Horvat mm. with, with, Kotkaniemi jumping a little further down the lineup, maybe to play with Stahl and Jarvis. Like that sounds really interesting to me. Or or Jarvis with Horvat sounds really good to me too. Um, so you know the Hurricanes might be yeah at the, at the very top of the list, particularly because I think their style, you know, win battles and then Horvat's skill, which is opportunistic converting. I think would really help them. I mean, how many of Horvat's goals this season, his league leading, were tied with Jason Robertson yeah. and Connor McDavid for 16 Deflections and How many have been kind of tips? I mean, the, the one lot. against Colorado most recently comes, yeah. comes to mind for a team that takes point shots as freely and frequently as the Hurricanes do. That would actually be appealing to me because there's another question here. I, I think Horvat's... About what do you think Carolina needs to do to get over the hump? And I'm not sure necessarily... They need their Marion Gabrick. Right. You know, like when the Kings added Marion Gabrick. So I sort of view, I have this like old way of viewing this where I, I think about guys who can set the table versus guys who can eat. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a few guys who can do both. Like Sidney Crosby. Right. Yeah. But the Carolina Hurricanes are a team of table setters. Yes. And they need, they they're third, need. They're 32nd in shooting percentage this season. Right. They yeah. need, they need a guy with appetite. Yeah. And Bo Horvat can put it away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he can, and in a in a way that stylistically makes sense. I guess, you know, I think Gabrick was such an interesting wrinkle dynamic to add to the Kings because he added so much. He infused them with so much more speed. Yeah, even at that point of his career, for sure. Um, which doesn't necessarily apply well, here, and, but definitely and, the finishing and, element. And Horvat's also not like a sustainable on ice shooting. Well, percentage that's why driver, I think the Hurricanes the might same not way be. Gabrick is. I think that's why the Hurricanes might not be that interested in a player who's shooting twenty. Three percent. Although, so although, although, go look at the overall trend lines in his conversion rate. He's right? been like, above average for sure. He was but, like fifteen but, last year, I think, right? Right. But he's it's it's like a grown average. And like yeah. Horvat, Horvat changed up his stick. Yeah. Um. He's done some real work, uh, including with some consultants on his finishing game. Um. But like legit, a Bauer rep showed him Connor Bedard's sticks over mm-hmm. the summer. And he was like, how do you even use this? And started experimenting with lower whip. Bo Horvat's modeling his game after Conor Bedard. M- modeling his shot. Right. Like, very seriously. He was no, like... No, no, I, I believe it. Yeah. And he's... Uh, so he's, so he's like, in the mid-70s for flex. Yeah. Like, he's using a way whippier flex than he has in the past. This is a guy who's, like, legitimately just hardworking and has spent a bunch of time being like, how can I get better at this? What can I do? And he's figured out how to be a really deceptive shooter he, he spent a bunch of time this summer experimenting with different flexes, is trying out a new thing. I don't think goalies know how to watch for it yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to come down. But, like, there's something more going on than just conversion luck here. This is this is hard-earned. No, there is, especially with where he's getting his goals from around from, the net, yeah, for exactly. sure. The Hurricanes don't strike me as a team that's going to pay a premium for an impending UFA who's on pace for 67 goals right now. Though. I don't disagree with that. Right. 
but the stylistic fit, well, it's the funnest combo for me. It does. I can't really, I mean, there's a few others that would, like, he'd help everyone, obviously. Toronto? Right. Yeah, I guess, with the way they're playing now, yeah. <laughs> You're out on the Leafs, huh? Uh, they're just not fun anymore. I just don't enjoy watching them play anymore. Yeah, fair and enough. I know, like, they're they're a good team. They're winning games. They beat Minnesota four three today. I believe, like, they're yeah. fine. But they're they're definitely going to the be the things that used to make them so special is just not no longer. Yeah, they're not a track meet team anymore. No. But I think the thing I think Horvat would help them with is he doesn't get he's got the stomach for the fight hmm. in in a big moment, and I think he could be really effective on the wing. If they wanted him to play with Tavares and Nylander and maybe give Tavares some defensive cover. But I also think you could play him on a third line and that would be outrageous. Like, could you imagine going Matthews, Tavares, Horvat, Camp? That's the best in the league. Well, does, does a Horvat trade necessarily come with an extension? No. In place? No. No, yeah. he has no control. There's no no trade. No, I mean, I mean no, but for I, a team that's paying a premium for him, I imagine they'd want at least to consider whether it's just a, a rental or whether it's a... Potentially, right. but I mean, you might get a team that's renting him is willing to give the biggest return. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to come attached to an extension because, again, he doesn't have to wave. He has no control in the situation. So that's not, it's not like a necessary condition. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. I definitely, while the shooting percentage is high and he's not going to score 67 goals this season. Um, uh, we should talk LA, by the way. Could you imagine? Yeah, let's do it. Kopitar to no Horvat. Right. Would be would be a pain, and then obviously we also got to another talk team that needs Colorado. to get better at finishing, right? But we also got to add Colorado, and and there'd be the added benefit in acquiring Horvat, in that who's a better replacement for Nazem Kadri, both at five on five and on the power play, right? You you just literally have acquired another elite bumper lefty yep. to throw on to PP one, and it's like, hey guys, let's just bring out the old playbook. We all know how to use it. Well, I got another question here. I'm going to pull it up right now. It is about this exactly. It is from Alex Higley who asks, would you trade New Hook as part of a Horvat deal or do you think he's worth holding on to for the Avalanche? That's a tough one, right? It is. I mean, this is such a key year for the Avs yeah. because of the logic of the McKinnon extension, right? Like, yeah. It feels like if you're going to repeat you know, they, they're, they're built well enough that they'll be fine, but this feels like a really vital season. You've got Comfer expiring. You've got McKinnon's Rays kicking in. Um, you know, it's, I mean, there's a lot that's going to change for this team. And sure, the expiry of Eric Johnson will help, but, you know, you've still really only got like one more year of Taves at 4.1, right. right? Like he's about to be a $10 million player yeah, or $8 million player anyway. Uh, certainly six and a half. And so, you know, it feels like it feels like the marginal value of taking one more real all-in swing is through the roof for the for the Colorado Avalanche. It's just are the Canucks really going to get a new hook quality player from someone else? Yeah. For Bo Horvat? Yeah, uh, I guess it depends on your mileage of, you know, of the uh, hook. I mean, yeah, I think that's right. But I do think I do think they're going to upgrade over Alex Newhook. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting about the Avalanche is that what they've shown this year, where I think they entered the season with the hopes that he would step in and fill that Nazem Kadri role on the second second center spot. And instead, they basically late in the game got Evan Rodriguez for peanuts. And I know he got hurt in the most recent game against the Canucks, but he was doing great in that position. And I still I think, think they want more. 
Sure. But when you have the nucleus in place that they have in the core, you can fill in a lot of these other parts and make them look better and also get players to want to come play in a fun style where they're going to score a lot and potentially win a cup. And so I don't think the Avalanche necessarily need to get into the business of paying a premium. Now, with the injuries that they already have in place and potential LTIR shenanigans, I'm curious to see how much they push that envelope this season, whether they just really take a, a massive home run cut and try to significantly improve their team for like a, a repeat bid. I think the I think they will. They have their, but I just don't. I I don't feel like Newhook has to be part of it. You've got too many guys expiring, and he's an RFA yeah. who's not going to have like the best arbitration case. Like mm-hmm. to me, the Newhook, like Newhook's a really vital piece if you want to win beyond this season. Yeah, and I I bet you the Avalanche would be super protective of him in that context. That said, you know they have a first, and then they don't pick again until the fifth round. I bet they'll trade that first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would think, if I was a first round prospect, I would not be expecting Colorado to call my name this summer. I, I would think that first is gone. And yeah. then and then you sort of flesh it out with with lesser pieces, you know, that Martin Cout and yeah. on and on. I, I just I, I how are you going to win in a world where um you know <laughs> you've got uh Devon Taves making eight million and Bowen Byram making whatever he's going to make on his second contract. Yeah. If you don't have a guy like Alex Newhook providing cheap. When you with. said Devon Taves and then six and a half, I was going to say, Devon, before you sign anything, please call me for a representation. <laughs> Do not take that deal. Um, all right, Tom. I, I mean, me and me and Devon Taves uh, share representation. Uh, so okay. <laughs> I think he'll be fine. Okay. Uh, Tom, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here. And then we come back. We're going to keep tackling the listener questions. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Mailbag with our pal Thomas Trans. Tom, let's uh, let's jump back into the listener questions. I have one more here before we start taking some from the uh, from the mailbox. Mickey asks, both Panthers and Flames have been average, not doing poorly, but not doing as well as either would want. Do you guys want to revisit the key players of the trade and how they're doing so far? Now, you and I on your show just before this talked a bit about the. Florida Panthers because they're uh, on the schedule for the Vancouver Canucks this season. Mm-hmm. You and I also did one of my favorite PDO casts that I've ever done this past summer after the trade where we spent an hour and a half in a WeWork conference room breaking down every single possible angle of that trade to uh, to great to great reviews, I'd say. I think people on all, all, all sides were, were pretty happy with it. Yeah, a lot of important people listen to that podcast for some reason. I got to say, I think the logic for why the Panthers paid the price that they did where I think people were shocked at the sticker sticker price of I can't believe they gave up Uyghur and Huberto for one player and our logic was not only does he fundamentally change the way they play probably for the better I mean we'll still see the juries out in terms of whether that helps in the postseason and in terms of their problem solving offensively but also the logic was well you're paying a 24 year old for all of his prime seasons basically and you're getting out of the risk of having to pick up the tab on a 30-year-old's contract for the next eight years. And so far, that's looking pretty good from a, a thought process perspective for the Florida Panthers. You'd rather be, well, look, shocker, team thinking longer term does better than team thinking shorter term and, in and, trade. And actually, generally, in the shorter term as well. 
But that's always how it works. Right? It's always like, oh, the logic is this will help them in the long term. They might sacrifice in the short term. And in reality, they generally wind up doing better much quicker than you think. I've been around the Canucks long enough to know that the Canucks make a move that I know is a disaster, but I have to be a little bit polite about it in my first take on it. So I'm like, it makes them better today, but, and then I focus on the long-term risks. And then like within a week, the all deal All of those was, risks are materializing. All of them, yeah. right? Like the Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson makes them better in the short term, but man, the latter stages of those contracts, he was never good. Yeah. Right. Oliver Ekman Larson makes them better the next season, but man, they were one year away from being out of cap hell. Boom. It never works. Right? I think the only I time mean, you can actually rationalize and get away with it is if you're a legitimate Stanley Cup team. Because right then away. even if it doesn't pan out, you're not gonna fall off because it was a luxury item to begin well, with. I'm old enough to remember people like reacting with wild sticker shock when the Chicago Blackhawks traded first for Antoine Vermette. Right. Right. And it's like, who cares? They yeah. have no future beyond this year. Like yeah. you win now or you never win again. And they won that year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it goes. I mean, that you pay that price every time out. Yeah. Every time out. Florida and Calgary, I think, are both really good teams. You know, I, I mean, I think Calgary is the second or third best team in the West. I thought you were going to say the second best team in that trade. <laughs> <laughs> of the two teams. Of those two teams, two. they are number two. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, uh, Second very, or third. <laughs> very, very flight of the Concords there, right? Yeah. Like, depending on the tr- trade, I bet you are definitely in the top three right. best teams in the trade. Yeah. Um, I think the, both of those teams are good. The results haven't matched. Yeah. But I think the, you know, the Panthers are what? I don't think the Panthers will finish the season more than 10 points back of the Boston Bruins after 82 games. Yeah, they're 31st in team shooting percentage right now, and all of their underlying metrics are better than they were last year offensively yeah. when they were the best offensive team we've ever seen. So They're going to be fine. Yeah. And then Calgary, too. Calgary is not getting saves, but you have Vladar and Markstrom. They're going to be totally fine in that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be as dynamic offensively. I think they might have taken a bigger step back than, than we thought, but the logic of adding a top-pair defender and, and you know, th- them just being one of the most... Per- um, least permissive teams in the league i still think that holds it's just that their goaltending hasn't earned them those results yet yeah you know what's interesting from the panthers perspective i think part of the bet there was this hubris that they'd had deservedly so from the past couple years of plugging and playing right in terms Mm -hmm. of like everyone we put into the system has the best year they have so we'll figure it out and on the one hand you look at the numbers that they're getting from like josh mahura and 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 making it work defensively we thought the defensive depth would be a big issue all of Blood misses a bunch of time they've been perfectly fine like, yeah, they're, they're, they're okay. They're so good at plugging def- holes on the blue line with cast-offs. It's incredible. At the same time, their commitment to the, to the stall bit is so strange because that's literally been the one flaw of every single thing they've done. You know what? Zito seems to do this, though, all the time. There's always, like, a Joe Thornton. Yeah. You know, and then once the games matter later in the year, those guys don't seem to play. Yeah, I but, guess so. But they've done it multiple years in a row. They've had, like, uh, a guy like that around. Yeah. Well, they're taking the joke about going to Florida to retire just way too, way too literally. Well, not not as literally as they did. Remember when it was like the Joe Newendike, Gary Roberts, Florida Panthers, and it was like, oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think both teams will be fine. I like Florida's side of the trade slightly better, but I also think Calgary. Like the the thing is, is I think Calgary is the second best team in the West, despite how they've played to this point. I think they're the second best team in the West. Behind Definitely Vegas. not. They're not better than Colorado. I like them better. The actual Colorado Avalanche we're going to see in a playoff series or this version on November 24th or 5th or whatever. I mean, all I can do is analyze this version. I know. Your, but Nishushkin your... and Landeskog will be back. Okay. And then if they make a trade for a center, then yeah. I'm willing to hear it. 
And but I mean, also you're gonna have at least one, if not two, of their defenders injured. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I at the end of the day, too, who am I gonna feel more comfortable in a playoff series, Francois or Markstrom? I know it doesn't matter that much, but it's like, come on. There, there I, I, I genuinely, I think right now that the Flames are the second best team in the West behind only Vegas. Um, whereas for me, the Panthers would be a little further down that list, mm. right? I mean, you'd have to take the Devils. Tougher competition. I mean, the Hurricanes. Do you think we spend enough time talking about like the talent imbalance between the two conferences? I don't think we spend enough time talking about how far and away the Devils are the best team in the league right now. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I know they've got a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. The wagon t-shirts yeah, this pod, and on This and on. podcast spends a lot of time talking about uh, they, it. But yeah. the, the, I mean, there's no one close right now. Yeah. It's 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 scary. They and look they look like the Avs two years ago. And how fun they are to watch, yeah. Well, they, they, they're playing a different... Like, I watch the Canucks and then I watch the Devils. Or more frequently, I watch the Devils and then I watch the Canucks. And mm-hmm. I'm like, these are not not the same sport. Yeah. These teams aren't playing the same sport. So, anyway... um. At the end of the day, I think Calgary has got a cleaner shot to go further in the short term, even though the long-term deal that Florida made has aged better out of the gate. Here's here's another question from the inbox, by the way. Okay. Is Austin Matthews a two-way player? Oh, this and so this is a, a follow-up. This is dating back to our first discussion yeah, before the 20 break. 20 minutes ago or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is. He is. Because he, the past couple of years, has been legitimately good defensively. In terms of not not only the the impact that he's driving, but the physical way in terms of how he's playing, how he gets deep in the zone, wins battles, uh, takeaways, back checking, everything. Like he's been doing everything you'd like to see to qualify as actually being good defensively to go along with offensively. He was on my Selkie ballot last year. Yeah, he wouldn't be if I was voting today for this season. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's been the same. Because he hasn't scored enough goals. <laughs> no, because he hasn't been the same assertive presence game yeah. in game out. Yeah, and I know a big part of what's happening with Matthews right now is shooting percentage based, mm-hmm. but also a big part of it is at, very rarely do I tune in and see him being out there grabbing the game by the scruff of its neck and just like asserting himself as the best player on the right. ice. Something that I thought he did game in, game out last season, and a big reason why I put him on my Selkie ballot and had him ahead of Connor McDavid for Hart. Yep. Before you get mad at me, the players agreed they gave Matthews the Lindsay. There's like revisionist history that the Matthews winning the Hart last year was like a terrible call right. because of what's happened this season or mm-hmm. and what McDavid did in the playoffs. The players agreed. Yeah. Matthews won the Lindsay too. Stop it. Anyway, um, this season. This season, I've been left a little cool. Like, I think it's fair to talk about the fact that a quarter of the way through the season, William Nylander has been the Maple Leafs' best player. Mm -hmm. Like, Marner's on this big point streak, and Matthews just isn't throwing his fastball night in, night out. Maybe there's something with the wrist. Maybe there's something up. Yeah. But that's true. Like, that's been true watching that team play. So, I think he's a great two-way player. I think he anticipates the game extraordinarily well and can do some outrageous things. I, I have a memory watching him in Vancouver and uh, Travis Hamanick, it's a partial change and Matthews is the last guy out and the puck goes into the corner and Travis Hamanick gets it and Matthews, instead of going after the defenseman like he usually would, takes a look behind him, sees that there's a forward slashing and he traces the forward instead of going after mm-hmm. the defender. Right. And when Hamannick sends the pass up, Matthews just picks it off and gets a scoring chance out of it. And yeah. I just thought that is next level intelligence. Like, you know, he's like, oh, this guy's not a great passer. 
I'm going to victimize him. It's a bet against Travis Hammond. It's a bet against Travis but all in real time, processing it. And it's just brilliant. Like, I just, I remember watching it go down, watching him shoulder check, watching him uh, match his speed to the forward slashing as he moved slowly across the blue line. Yeah. And thinking that is a play that, like, two guys in the entire league can make. You know, like, there's just no one else who thinks of the game like that. That's wild stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that when you can play at that level, which we've seen Matthews do, you are a two-way player. I, I just don't think we've seen that level of ingenuity and dominance from him on a shift-out and shift-out basis yet you, this season. You know what I will say, though, when we're talking about Matthews, McDavid, best players in the world, asserting themselves physically, my preseason take of my favorite player to watch oh, is Connor Nathan McKinnon. No, it's Nathan McKinnon. Oh, man. is so true because you watch, even in, against the Canucks in the most recent game, he has these shifts where he just starts rumbling around and you're just like, this is, this is unlike anything else in the sport. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so violent. Like he had, he had that one shift in, I believe it was like the second period or something against the Canucks where he like, he first, he like went on a, a solo dash coast to coast. Oh, that and was almost scored. I know. And like, I think Pedersen tried to check him and he basically just like kicked his stick away. <laughs> um, and then yeah, the power play shift where he was just like hammering every, like it was just, yeah, it's not the best. But it's the most, like, I can't look away because something crazy is happening right now. He is definitely the angriest skater. Yes. Ever. Yeah, he hates the ice. Hates it. And I I also like the contrast. One thing I like about watching the abs, I like the contrast between the shorter player skating like the most angry person in the world. Right. And then the really big guy in Miko Rantanen who's just, like, so smooth. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) um, um, Nathan McKinnon entering the zone. He enters like a hammer. And Miko Rantanen cuts through defenders like they're butter, like he's a butter knife. It's it's just the funniest contrast in size and style in the league, and I can't get enough of watching it. I love that. All right, you have the you have the mailbox pulled up on. I'll let you host a little bit since I hosted your show today. Sure. First of all, someone texts in to note that James Reimer is playing on on Sunday, so I just want to. There you go. Well, that's because on your show on Canucks Talk, we talked about whether he was going to be in for for the Canucks game this weekend. Someone points out that. Carolina is frequently used as an example of how to manage the cap properly, mm-hmm. but they've wondered if sooner or later their strategy of moving anyone out was going to catch up with them. This is in the context of our earlier Horvat discussions from Nathan and Poco. Uh, what do you think? The who are they? Who are they? What what fit, what classifies as an example for this? Who have they moved out? Well, it's not moving out. It's it's the, like letting them go. Yeah, the, it's the it's the like letting Vinny Trocheck go this summer. Trocheck, Dougie Hamilton, yeah, um, Anthony D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I uh, guess like goalies, N- right? Delkovich. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah. They they don't they don't care about losing their goalies. They don't care about losing UFAs. They're happy to just sort of, and they don't also monetize them on the on the trade market. They just replace them and right. keep, keep on coming. Um, what's your thoughts? Will that eventually catch up to them strategy-wise? I mean, certainly when you lose a player for nothing, it stings. But the whole thesis behind what they're doing is maintaining flexibility so that they can just find the next guy. Whether right. it's someone who just can't is lost in the shuffle and can't be afforded by their current team or whether they're looking to rebuild their stock. And so I don't know if it will until teams start acting accordingly. Right, like the reason why it's successful is because it's so unique compared to how most teams function, where NHL teams act so emotionally and irrationally sometimes, where they get so invested in a homegrown product that they've drafted, developed, seen kind of develop into their prime that they wind up regrettably 
paying for their less productive seasons as they enter their 30s. And the Hurricanes just don't do that. So I don't think so until the rest of the league catches up. So it's an advantage based less on their ability to replace and more on everyone else's Yeah, they're, be- they're betting against the other 31 franchises. And based on the way teams generally function in the NHL, I'd say that's a good strategy. Yeah. I, I would mean, you agree? I, I, I would agree. But it does matter that you're consistently able to replace guys. Like Yes. And, and I do think the Trocheck loss, while not necessarily, like, I don't think it's a mistake by any means, right? No chance it is. Yep. Um, you know, I, I mean, what's what's up with the Rangers? Why are they not? Are they just coming back to earth and doing what they should have done last season? Yeah, I don't know. Their their, their numbers are strange. Like they things have dried up quite a bit offensively. I they, think they don't they, fine. They, like when I've seen them, they've actually looked more encouraging to me than than last year. But yeah, me too. But yeah, that's because but that's because I was certain they were first round fodder all last year. Mm-hmm. Um. You know they're slightly older, but I, I don't I don't think they've taken the step. Like their first week of the season, I was like, oh my god, I might have been way wrong about the Rangers. They look like a team that could level up really quickly with the quality of their young blue line, and they really have not delivered on that promise. Feels yeah. they they feel like they're stagnating. Anyway, the well, let's keep talking about the Hurricanes. Yeah, the Hurricanes though. Think about this summer though. They do miss Trocheck. They do. I, I do. Like Kakiniemi, I don't think is a long term answer at second line center. Yes, but we have to treat all of these. Like you can't, I, you can't evaluate in a vacuum. It was, no, it's I not. Know. Do you miss Trocheck? It's do you miss the next five years of any Trocheck? Probably not. Probably not. And their ability to go and basically add Brent Burns, who's posting great numbers predictably for them with Jacob Slavin on the top air for literally nothing, is because they do stuff like that. Or to get paid for Max Pacioretty, who we haven't even seen. Yeah. Right. Who will help answer a lot of those questions we had previously of putting the puck in the net? That's something he does really well. Really well. So. Man. And and provide speed as well, assuming his Achilles holds up. Yeah. Plus they have two left, two righties playing on the same third pair, and it's great. Yeah. It's so incredible. I don't I don't think it'll come back to bite them. I understand they haven't necessarily won a Stanley Cup. So haven't necessarily. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, in terms of like treating them as the gold standard for how to run a team or how to manage your team, I, I get why people sometimes push back on that, but. I don't know. They're pretty smart. Uh, someone says, by the way, us talking about angry or violent skating is proof we're nerds. Correct. <laughs> Super fair. What, uh, why is that the case? What, what's what's wrong with talking about violent skating? I, I have no idea. I have no other way to describe what Nathan McKinnon does on the ice surface as it, it's, angry and violent. It's proof we're nerds. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, and so someone asks, why do we never talk about the Bruins? Mm. Are they not doing as good, if not better, than the the Devils? They are. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, they just won at home again today. Yeah. They're and they're outrageous. I just I do think the Devils are materially more unique. Mm-hmm. Uh and, uh, I disagree with that. Really? Yeah. I, I think the stuff the Bruins do in terms of what we discussed, like how they attack you from a geometry perspective, like the angles they use, the way they move the puck around, their movement at the offensive zone, which the Canucks saw. Uh, and and were victimized by pretty pretty significantly in the game they played against them in Boston. Like you see, like how they can kind of expose you in that regard with the way they they operate. So it's not it's much more of a skill based game than I think we like to admit, mm-hmm. especially with their best players. Oh, it definitely is with that perfection. And I think it's unique. Like the set plays they run off of draws. I just did a whole podcast basically on Patrice Berger on what he does so uniquely with Matt Porter, and and so I think they are unique in a completely different way. Like I think what the devils are doing in terms of the team speed and the way they're just constantly attacking is more aesthetically pleasing 
but I'd say both are pretty unique. Yeah, fair enough. I, I just, <laughs> I, I think the Devils are, the Devils have a shot at just being unhittable. Yeah. In a way, I just think the Bruins are a really interesting, smart, competent team. They're like the best version of what we consider to be a hockey team. Mm-hmm. But the Devils feel like they have a chance to be something else. The right. Devils the Devils have a chance to be fastball incarnate. They have, they have a chance to be the Avs from the last three years. You know, I, I mean, it just feels different to me. Their gear is so high right now. Well, and I'd say from a, from a team building perspective, the Devils succeeding would be really good. Because they've also done a couple of very admirable things, right? One, yeah. they Actually, stuck they stuck with it and were pretty patient as a, after a couple of years of pretty brutal disappointment based on preseason expectations. Two, they were pretty smart about maintaining flexibility so that this summer they could go and identify yeah. players they really wanted to bring in. Yeah, and they generally like they play a very modern way in terms of just everyone skates really fast and they their defensive approach is we're just like not going to let you get the puck so every time i hear someone cite i don't know if they're a playoff team because you look at that goaltending and it just doesn't do it for me it's like doesn't matter okay well that goalie faces 22 shots every night a lot of them are from the perimeter and last year darcy kemper with one eye won a stanley cup so i don't understand what what we're talking about here you look at the list of goalies other than andre vasilevsky who's such an anomaly in every like yeah. we don't talk about that enough. The durability. The factor. fact that he was a top twenty draft pick, which you don't take goalies top twenty. They gave him a nine point five million dollar annual deal, and basically in doing so, relegated themselves to punting the backup position for eternity, which teams don't do in today's NHL. And that he's like a physical freak. Like you just can't compare what the Lightning have in Andre Vasilevsky to like a Anything. blueprint for what teams need to have to win a Stanley Cup. You're right. And otherwise, all the goalies that have won the past however many years have not been guys you would have gone into that season being like, this is a Stanley Cup winning caliber goalie. It's generally some rando Holtby, who like, has bounced around. Bennington. Yeah, Bennington didn't, I mean, Holtby didn't start that postseason no, I know. for the Grubauer Capitals did. and had a horrible regular season. Yeah. And you wouldn't have gone into that playoff run being like, Holtby's the guy. So, no, definitely not. It, in fact, it was the first time in five years you would have said, like, Holpe's not the guy. Right, who actually was, like, one of the greatest playoff performers of his generation. Right, but, and then yeah, all of a sudden, yes. yeah. No, it's interesting. The, yeah, I mean... Sorry for that rant. But. No, no, it's a it's a good one and a necessary one. I Yeah, I, I just think the Devils are a potential outlier here. Like, I think pole to pole, they have a chance to be um, better by a margin mm-hmm. than anyone else. And, and that's not to say that they're going to win out in the playoffs. I just think they're at a gear that I don't think anyone else is hitting. And and the Bruins, I just think, are the best of... Like, when I say they're less unique, what I really mean is they're, like, the best version of what we consider to be a normal hockey team. Right. Whereas the Devils, to me, have a chance to be something different. So if you are the Devils... Also, also, can we... we just really quickly before we go, I gotta, okay. I gotta give some credit. The Devils don't get enough credit for fixing their defense. Yes, and that's the mistake everyone else who looks good on paper failed to make. Like, and how did they do it? They did not draft the players. No, they had cap space. Yeah. And picks. That's it. Yeah, not even premium picks, though. The, what did they trade? A third the, or a fourth for Jonas Siegenthaler? Yeah. And then a third and a... And a, and a failed first-round pick. For well, a failed first-round pick. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they drafted the defender who didn't work out, who they were quick to move for John Marino. And yeah. then seconds for Graves. I mean... What's the difference between Ottawa and New Jersey? I mean, there's a lot of them, but the main one, one team went out about upgrading their defense. One of them didn't and just enjoyed the headlines. 
And that is today's episode of the Hockey Pediacast. Tom, this was a blast, man. I'm glad we glad we got to do this. Oh, My you, pleasure. Uh, we love gotta... love to spike the ball on hot Pierre Summer before we go. We've got a minute here. Plug some stuff. Uh, where can people check you out and give us all that good stuff? I'm on these here airwaves, yes. Sportsnet 650, every day, Monday to Friday, uh, noon to 2 p.m. And, of course, on your favorite podcast, Catchers, <laughs> uh, Canucks Talk is the show, uh, obviously at The Athletic as well, athletic.com. And... You can follow me on Twitter at Thomas Trance. Don't miss the Athletics uh, Black Friday sale. Nice. Best sale of the year. Well, this is a blast. You and I are on every week, and hopefully we'll get you on the PDO cast here soon. If you enjoyed today's Anytime, show, my friend. please go smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll be back Monday with more here on the feed. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. This has been the Hockey PDO cast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.